listeners to Snippet Sports Science Podcast, brought to you by EliteForum.com. Today we're looking at the article, Relationship Between Midweek Training Measures of Testosterone and Cortisol Concentrations and Game Outcome in Professional Rugby Union Matches, by Christopher Gavilio and Christian Cook. Oh, one of those is your name, Chris. Yeah, it is. This is one of your articles. Yeah, this is paper number two of my full paper thesis. Oh, that's a large paper thesis. Definitely. It took me a long time. Actually, it took me from the first time I took a sample to the time I actually got my piece of paper, nine years. Well, you know, that that's actually pretty much, that's relatively normal for a PhD. Every, everyone, most people seem to think that a PhD uh, takes about three years. If you Google this, the average PhD takes 8.2 years of the 50% of people who complete a PhD. Well, within you, 10 years. That was a long time. It's a very years. long time, yes. So two countries and two extra children. My kids actually know what doing university work actually is. They say, oh, daddy's <laughs> doing uni work. Yep, just reading the article over your shoulder. Definitely. Oh, what are you doing? Daddy's doing uni. They're pretty clever kids. Yeah, definitely. All right, so uh, second article in your PhD. So tell us a bit about how this came about and what are you looking at here? I think this is really fascinating, to be honest. When you look at the role of hormones, in particular testosterone and cortisol, and outcome or performance in whether it's competition or some sort of athletic event, we traditionally look at something acute, something either just before it and before or after. We look at the relationship and traditionally we would see that testosterone, which is associated with strength, speed and power, and also motivational behaviors such as aggression, determination and so forth, Testosterone tends to be the marker which actually shows an ability to highlight improved performance or successful outcome. And conservatively, we do like to call those markers for those behaviors. But there is also strong evidence as well that testosterone actually directly binds to receptors in the frontal lobe and the amygdala to regulate rational and emotional decision-making processes. That's correct. However, in my thesis, I had to be really careful on how I actually use the testosterone and I actually just termed it a biomarker. For us, it was a really good marker of success. And the other really good marker here is the testosterone to cortisol ratio. And traditionally, when it was first brought out, it was proposed as a marker of overtraining. If it hit a certain number, in athletes or tended to de- decrease, it was actually shown that the athletes could potentially be overtrained due to their actual stimulus. However, with more and more papers that came out, it actually was a little bit equivocal as to whether it was a true marker of overtraining. Once again, it depends on which paper you read, the training stimulus depends on what the result was. However, what we're actually starting to see a lot there in literature is it is actually another really good marker of another good ratio marker of that anabolic to catabolic processes within the body. So we're taking another mark into account, not in isolation of testosterone and cortisol, but it together as a marker. Right, and that anabolic catabolic ratio is what's most been cited in literature, even though it's now being questioned as are these relatively small transient changes from testosterone and cortisol actually affecting the anabolism and catabolism relative to the superphysiological doses that a lot of that early literature was based on. But of course, testosterone is anabolic by nature and cortisol is catabolic by nature. 
Yeah, and it just tends to show that if you're in that anabolic state, so whether it's the testosterone acted upon the receptors to make the response or whether it's the associated positive behaviours, it's just a fabulous marker. Absolutely. And, and I think that's what we need to sit back and just think of this during this paper. In paper one, we looked at acute markers of hormones to performance. We found that when we had increased concentrations of testosterone on game day, we would win. And remember, once again, this is over two years of data, so two six-week blocks of data. So traditionally, when we put a paper out, it'll be over, say, four weeks, if you're lucky, and that's what we write the paper on. But we actually did this year of pilot work. What we actually did in year one during the pilot study is we actually started to look at midweek markers as well. And firstly, how did the players recover from the game? And then further from that point, leading into the game, how did they actually, how were those hormonal markers related to performance? Right, and we actually previously reviewed your first article on Snippet, didn't we? That's correct, yes. Yeah, do you remember the, the title uh, or which episode number that was so the audience can go back and look at that? That article was actually in Snippet, episode number 22. Pre-game testosterone predicts match outcomes? That's right, yeah. Yep, so feel free to go back, listeners, and listen to that one because this is essentially part two of Chris's PhD. That's right, and, and within this study, we actually looked at the response to a stress test and that response in relation to our outcome a few days later because we wanted to see if we would do a training session how that would affect us hormonally and does that have a cascading effect a few days later now a stress test could be anything in one paper by Crother et al they did a gym session in our study it was our main skill session for the week it could be five 30 meter sprints it just has to be a consistent session done at the same time with the same content and doesn't have much fluctuation within the session itself. One thing we really tried to do within this whole study was not to actually change the structure of the training week and we felt that was really important to get buy-in from the coaches and the players. Therefore we didn't make them do anything on top of what they would normally do within a training week. Therefore we saw that the skill session which was our main one for the week on a Wednesday had a how was our response to that hormonally and did that have that effect a few days later? And so from that point, we had our players that would come in uh, in the morning, have their team meeting, they would sample, we'd get some other data like vertical jump and so forth, they'd do their training session. As I said, it was the same content length, it was the same structure, and then they would sample post. And from that point, they would usually play on a Saturday most times, and we had a pretty consistent schedule and pretty much it was like a three o'clock afternoon game and from that point we'd be sampling pre-game as well okay and that looks like it was about a one hour skill session with a lot of specific training for for each of the different groups the outline of the, the skill session would be just that general group warm-up and then we'd break into units so the backs would go do their work and the forwards would do their specific skill work and then, then they would come together and do their attacking moves and then from that point defense moves and that would then conclude the session. As soon as they come off they were quite first in what they would have to do in terms of sampling. As I said this is the second year they've actually been sampling so it's nothing for them to pick the, pick the tube up, give us a passive drill and we can then use that for collection. Right and you use those little oral fluid contact, right and you use those little or 
and you use those little oral fluid collectors that are very easy to use, just sits on top of the tongue and collects a bit of saliva, no blood sampling necessary to get the testosterone and cortisol numbers. It was actually passive drool. Oh, it was passive drool into a tube? That's right. Oh, okay. It was a little bit before the actual tongue uh, collectors. It was before the collectors came out, that's right. So this is back in 2009, 2010. Yep. That's really the basis behind it. We wanted to see was there a relationship around a midweek value and performance a few days later. At the time, no actual group had done anything around this. So this was actually quite experimental. When you actually look at the order of papers that have been released, as I said, Crother actually released a paper prior to this in English Rugby League and found that the testosterone response around a weight session actually was predictive of performance a few days later, which actually then helped my paper come through. Although at the time, this study, we'd done this, we'd found the results, and because those researchers are in this larger group of fellow colleagues, that they actually then reproduced a similar study elsewhere. Okay, so it looks like you took samples from six different midweeks versus those competitions? Yes. And it looks like it was a really good mix of losses and wins, home and away, and also the historical win percentage of the opposition. It was quite lucky that we oh, had... Oh, it's very convenient. Yeah. Imagine if it had been all wins. Yeah. What would you do? It would, <laughs> would have been quite hard to actually produce. So we actually had in this study three wins and three losses. You would have had to have uh, nagled some sort of statistics there where you uh, looked at a correlation between the between the testosterone, the pre-testosterone concentration and the, the score, the score ratio. Yeah. If it had been all wins, yeah. And also home in a way was pretty even. So traditionally you'll actually find in literature that your pre-game testosterone concentrations will be higher at home because it's yes. territorial, you're protecting your own territory and conversely would be lower when you're going away. However, in this group of athletes, we didn't see that kind of relationship. Right, it looks like you've got the one low testosterone at home and two high uh, testosterones at home. That's right. Yeah, so it does seem like maybe a little more common, but there wouldn't really be. Whereas there were the two low testosterones away and one high testosterone away. Yeah. Yeah, good mix. And so what did you find with those testosterone levels pre and post skill for the wins and losses? The big thing that we found that the response of both testosterone and the testosterone to cortisol ratio improved significantly from pre to post session before a win, whereas prior to a loss, the change wasn't significant at all. Right, so there's still an increase from that skill session, but it's a non-significant increase. That's right, and that could be just because they're exercising and doing something that's of a slight aggressive nature. However, when you look at the, however, when you think about the TC ratio or the testosterone concentration, it's an anabolic marker. So the stimulus of the session was good enough to actually elicit a response. Now, whether that was Potentially, it could be something that was said prior to the speech beforehand in terms of the meeting or whether it was just on their own, they went a little bit harder. Those are things we can't actually tease out, that they just had a better response to that same stimulus from a win compared to a loss. Right, and we know those meetings can have quite a large effect on testosterone as it's associated primarily with social dominance which is then, of course, very important in a rugby match. That's right. And there's also a lot of vision as well. And a couple of other previous podcasts that we've reviewed, the other work of Christian Cooks is around the use of 
video interventions, but also the type of uh, feedback from the coach. So if cautionary versus positive feedback can actually acutely affect hormonal levels as well. Right, and just serves as a very good biomarker for that readiness to train, readiness to compete, and how responsive the athlete will be to the stimulus. That's right, and that's a big thing that we I try to actually push across this. It's a really good biomarker, but potentially a good biomarker for readiness to compete. Right. And the other interesting result here was that the TC ratio, the percentage change across the session, actually correlated very strongly to pregame testosterone concentrations. As we stated earlier, pregame testosterone concentrations correlate with winning. Therefore, we had a really positive response to the midweek skill session. And then that response also correlated not only to the pregame testosterone, but was actually being able to distinguish between a win and a loss. Right, and it looks like the cortisol was quite a strong predictor. And that relationship was actually a negative predictor, and potentially that could be seen as a positive thing a few days out from a competition. You would know that through exercise, you potentially would be having an increase in cortisol. However, we don't want too much of an increase in cortisol. So potentially in season, having that negative correlation. So if it wasn't a damaging or a catabolic session, that was a good thing because that would that mean that that was able, you know, that potentially could mean that there was enough recovery processes in place so they could have higher levels of testosterone. There's that dual hypothesis theory that at times when you have high levels of cortisol, that actually may also correlate with lower levels of testosterone and vice versa. So therefore we can see some other work out there about how potentially cortisol may interplay with testosterone and vice versa. Right, and a bit of the theory with the with that dual hormone hypothesis is that the cortisol sort of overwhelms or blocks the testosterone, that when someone is too stressed, then they aren't able to fight effectively, which is kind of my personal understanding of testosterone and cortisol is as both of them being stress hormones and that essentially cortisol is a general marker of are you going to have a fight or flight response and if the cortisol is too high then you have to choose flight the stress is overwhelming and you need to run away from it or if the cortisol is low enough relative to the testosterone the testosterone is high then the subject will choose to fight rather than to run away because they have confidence in themselves that they can overcome that yeah. stressor yeah that's right and look cortisol is not all bad you know, you, oh, it's you, a great one. It's very important. We need to wake up in the morning. Yeah, and you, you, you need stress to respond to a stimuli at right. times. And stress is very ergogenic. It's very performance enhancing. But too much stress then becomes bad. You know, all things in moderation. There's, there's somewhere where there's the optimum level of anything. Yeah, there was actually a third study that uh, Christian Cook and another group did with an English rugby union team. What they actually found was the like an anticipatory increase in cortisol prior to a repeat sprint test mm. so that was their stress test will actually distinguish between wins and losses in an international rugby union team this then also comes down to the individuality of hormones to the cohort of athletes that you're actually working with so in the case of my study we had testosterone but also the tc ratio showed an ability to distinguish. In the rugby league, they actually showed a response of testosterone to a gym session, 
whereas in an international rugby union team they actually showed it was an anticipatory rise in cortisol before a repeat sprint test. And once again, delving back into some previous podcasts, the hormones around a type of stimuli is actually really an individual. So in a gym session, for example, you know, I might respond well to four sets of one, whereas Jared, you might be, you know, a strongman session. And we need to be able to distinguish those kind of individual type of stresses or sessions to truly understand what is going to make the best benefit for the specific group of athletes or athlete. Absolutely, and that's a fantastic article, the one comparing maximal testosterone responses to minimal testosterone responses. I highly recommend that for those of you that hasn't, haven't listened to that yet. Definitely. So it was basically it for us. It was, it was really cool to actually see that we could, three days out from a game, be able to distinguish between a win and a loss. Unfortunately, at the moment, we can't analyze testosterone concentrations real time. We can do cortisol, as we know. Therefore, the next step for us is really can we do these type of sessions and then analyze them a lot quicker and then actually find out if someone presents hormonally poor, what type of intervention can we put into place so that we know that those athletes can present well come game day. All right, and the, the reason for that limitation right now in the technology is that cortisol exists in saliva concentrations about 1,000 times that of testosterone. There's just, there's so little testosterone in the saliva that it's very difficult to be able to assess that with an assay. That's right. So what are some takeaways for the audience there? Chris, what are some practical applications? This actually highlights, firstly, from, from my thesis point of view, that hormones actually play a role in performance a few days leading into the actual competition. Traditionally, we've looked at acute measures, whereas this is saying three days before. And really, when you, everything comes down to it, it's the whole weekly structure. Once you finish the game or competition, you know, knowing the type of response that you may have from the competition. So if you win, traditionally we would see an increase in testosterone. If we lose, you'd see potentially a decrease. What are the things that you can put into place post-game? Normally we do recovery, but it's also the social interactions that can actually help improve the hormonal profile of the athlete, which would actually start improving the cascading recovery responses that we're looking for. Then leading into that midweek, we now know that the content of what we do midweek can actually have a really good response to how we can perform a few days later. Therefore, I think it's important to start thinking about what's our key session of the week. And when you start thinking about what's the key session, you start delving deeper into the content. Firstly, the physical, what's made up with it, uh, and then also, you know, the psychophysiological, you know, how are we presenting things? How are we putting the session together? How are we communicating with our athletes uh, is really important because that can then have that acute effect on hormones, which then may have a knock-on effect to the response to that actual session. And what are our markers? How do we know that a session is successful? What are we looking for? So we may not be able to analyze hormones in athletes, but it could be the you know, it could be just RPE data. In, in our study, we had no difference in RPE data between a win and a loss. So that couldn't distinguish. So we needed something a little bit more sensitive. It could be simple questions like, how was that session? How did you feel? Uh, if you're using videos, you could be looking at certain actions or behaviors that perhaps the athlete could be presenting. Or it could be just, just outcome of the session. You just know that if you ran a little bit faster, you might, you might use uh, 
say five 30 meter sprints as your stress test, you just ran quicker and lo and behold you performed better. Is that because that your hormones are better or is that because you've actually had a better recovery process from the previous competition? Right, those things are just associated with each other. It's a bit chicken and the egg. Yeah, there's so many things just interplaying here that you can't just say it's the response from the one session. However, you know, for the purpose of this paper, we've said that it's the midweek response. And there was other work that we did around the two years of data collection around the role of recovery as well and how that related to what happened midweek uh, that we actually think had something to play with there. All right. Thank you for going over your study with us, Chris. Looking forward to the rest of your studies. Pleasure. And a big thank you to our listeners and to EliteForum.com for sponsoring this podcast. Beep. <laughs>